This is the Geek Therapy Podcast. Join Lara Taylor and me, Josue Cardona, as we celebrate how geek culture is saving the world. Currently, we're focusing on a geek therapy library. The library is designed to help fans communicate through their favorite movies, books, and games. It's a resource for therapists, teachers, and parents to find a way to work with or talk about important things through awesome content. Welcome to the show. Hey everybody, Josue here with another interview, but first, this is the last time I'm going to remind you, all of us here on the Geek Therapy Network are curious about our audience, so if you could please take one minute to fill out a survey that we have, uh, the link is in the show notes, it'll be the first link that you see, if you could just pop in there, tell us a little bit about yourself, that would be fantastic, I promise this is the last time I'll bring it up, and again, that is, in case you've listened to any of the shows on the network, remember, that's five shows total, including us, Headshots, Psych Tech, Rolling for Change, and Jedi Council. Now, for today's interview, I am very happy to share with you the discussion that I had with Michaela Bly. She is a storyteller and the senior manager of the Moth Education Program. We met up in Brooklyn. The idea was to have a very quiet place at the main library here, which is beautiful, by the way. And there was a mix-up with the room, so I couldn't get a quiet room. So instead, I am in what may be the noisiest library in the world. But I don't know. I kind of like it. It adds ambiance to the conversation. Again, this is uh, just such a great talk that I had with Michaela. She shares a few great stories during the interview. She talks about the work that she does. She talks about the importance of not only hearing a story, but telling your story. She talks about working with kids and teaching them how to tell a story. And, you know, I love to hear how responsible she is about that. It makes me feel really good to think that the moth is doing this correctly, you know? I mean, if you're having people share their stories, there's I think there's a right and a wrong way to do that. And we do talk a little bit about trauma. We talk about trigger warnings. Uh, we cover a lot of material, and it was a lot of fun. Now, before you continue to listen to this episode, I'm going to warn you. Michaela mentions three stories that she did on the Moth stage, and we reference them here. Now, I put links to each and every one of these stories in the show notes. So the first one is theft, which is about Legos. The second one is about, is about the Oregon Trail. And the third is about a trip that she made to Italy. That one's under Altered. I've also included a link to a presentation that Michaela gave at the School of Visual Arts Design for Social Innovation program, which is where she said some stuff and I heard it and then I wanted to talk to her. So I reached out to her and huge, huge thanks to Michaela for coming on the show. So here's my interview with Michaela Bly. So I was excited to talk to you because storytelling is such a big part of what of what we talk about on the show and what my work is on a daily basis, right? And and so I want to geek out with you on storytelling, right? And so uh, to me, I mean, you can, I want to hear how you would describe this, but yeah. um, I think that like the way the moth does storytelling, for example, which you have tons of videos on your site of you performing stories that way, like that's like the rawest form or like the oldest form maybe of storytelling, right? Just standing up, saying something that happened. Yep. Like what... I'm curious how you got into that. Like, why, why, why do you keep doing it? And why are you so involved in the moth? Yeah, great question. So I'm involved in the moth in like seven different ways at this point, you know. Um, yeah. And it's funny because um, I've been thinking about that idea. You know when your Facebook feed tells you about memories from things? Mm -hmm. So I've been reminded lately because it was around uh, February that I did my first Grand Slam. So I went to my first... Slam, which was an open mic night mm -hmm. for the moth, uh, six years ago, and um, and that was the first time I really found the moth was six years ago. And before that, 
So the moth is true stories, right? And before yeah. that, I was all about fiction. I was all Ooh. about pretend. I was an okay. elementary school teacher yeah. who liked to make things up and create worlds and like play pretend with my kids. <laughs> and we were all about making new things. And and um, I I had been starting to get a little involved in writing nonfiction, but I never really made the connection between the writing I was doing and and storytelling and, and saying things. But as I was a teacher, I was always telling kids stories and I was always doing that stuff. So when I, when I showed up at The Moth, I got on stage and it was like, yeah, it was, it was a very instant feeling of, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I'm yeah. supposed to be. And, yeah. and I shaped the story. I hadn't prepared very much that first time. And I shaped the story sort of on the fly. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, on the fly as I was going. Um, but it felt so good. It felt like the best kind of when you're teaching in front of a class and you know that everyone's on the same page and everyone's in, do, going on the same journey together. And even though I was the only one talking, it really felt like a connection with the people who were in the room. And I find adults a little scary in general, and I am much more comfortable, or I used to be at least, I'm much more comfortable with eight-year-olds than adults. And I found that they were much less scary when we were all laughing about the same thing together. Um, and so I had always been so interested in stories, but it had been fiction. And now I went, oh, there's this whole new thing that I can be figuring out and thinking about. And what you said, I, I really agree with that idea that there's something very basic about just getting up and saying a thing. But what I love is that there's there's a real art to it. There's Whether you're doing it consciously or unconsciously, because some people just get up and go, I just have this story and it's beautiful and, and there's an arc and there's conflict and you know all that stuff. Um, but you can put as much work into a five-minute story as you would into a play or or something like that. Not, I mean, not as much work. I don't want to belittle people who write plays, but you can um, rewrite that five minute story <laughs> for years. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and 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 honing down and choosing your details and figuring out how to get exactly across what you need to get across. That takes craft, and that's exciting to me. That there's something both extremely instinctive and extremely crafty about how you're communicating and how you're like getting people to see your world through your eyes. Um, so that's what I really connect to with it yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, I, I mostly use fiction in my work and, and I have taught all different ages. And, and so there are stories there. Every day I would come home with a different story because yeah. kids are incredible. And, but I'm curious that you mentioned something about how you used to only use fiction. You didn't connect to the nonfiction and so like I think that the nonfiction is made to be engaging on purpose, right? Like real life can or cannot be, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I think it usually is fascinating and very, very interesting. But the way the story is told can go either way. But fiction, usually there's something there on purpose to entertain or to engage us. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. I think, right? So like so how do you mean connect? versus versus uh, so there's nonfiction that's to inform yeah, yeah. Look, like, or I can tell a boring story. Yeah. Right. And in fiction, you're choosing it to be, try to be interesting. I think so, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's something about intention. Yeah. There, there's something about, like, I mean, it, what it reminds me of is uh, I was, I'm, I'm right now actually taking a nonfiction writing class. Mm. Um, and so awesome. we're nerding out about this, all, this stuff a lot. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about during this class was I think fiction 
makes me nervous because you have everything to choose from. Mm. Yes. It's like paralysis of choice, yes. right? I could write literally anything. And nonfiction, there's this constraint. True. It has to have really happened. Yeah. But after that, you can do what you want. You can use metaphors that bring me to all these other places. You can set, a, set up a character in a way that you expect it one way. And you can do all the no. tricks of fiction, but you're... Um, but you just have this great constraint to you. And I think constraints actually make us really creative, or at least for me. It's like you're telling a story by elimination, right? Exactly. Like, I'm going to remove this part that's boring, and now we only have fun stuff left. That exactly. is exactly yeah. it. So you're, you yeah. never lie. You never. Yeah. I mean, I take that stuff very seriously. I do yeah. not want to say things that happened that didn't happen. Yeah. But at the same time, I can choose how you see someone or how you see me or how you see what's happening. Yeah. Um, by framing it. And then the, uh, the next thing is there with fiction. Well, I don't know about fiction with this part, but, but um, with, with nonfiction too, whenever I'm working on a story, the, the code is always cracked for me okay. when I figure out what, I, what was really going on for me at the time. Mm. It's, it's very yeah. rarely what's going to be the most entertaining story. It's like this trust that I have that once I figure out what was really true, um, it's going to work out better. The story's going to be better. So I'll give you an example. Uh, did you see the story Oregon Trail? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the story Oregon Trail, if you haven't seen it, um, uh, uh, it's um, about uh, I, I create this simulation of the Oregon Trail with my third graders, and it goes horribly, horribly wrong. It's like a game of chance that I've built, and this girl almost dies because she just <laughs> keeps rolling the wrong thing. And I had sort of not foreseen this idea. So when I first thought about this story, I knew that happened. It was a crazy moment that happened in class. Yeah. And I was like, I've got to build a story around this moment that happened in class. And so I was talking to my director, Catherine. So I have a, a, a really good friend, Catherine McCarthy, who directs almost everything I, I do for slams. Um, and I was talking to her and we were sort of trying to figure it out. And I was saying, well, you know, at th that year my grandmother died and that year um, I had just broken up with a boyfriend and like there were all, there's all this dark stuff happening in my life. Mm -hmm. And so we started trying to build it where like I was a goofy teacher in the classroom, but like very, having very serious times in life, which okay. was true. Okay. And so then tried to frame the, that, that Oregon Trail moment of almost killing the kid as like, I don't want to have another funeral. I just had my grandmother's funeral kind of thing. Didn't work. Yeah. It like sounds right. But it didn't make any sense. It, it's all, it also sounds very, very different from the final product, well, right? Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the thing. It just didn't feel very true. Like, yeah. it all kind of mapped out, and it was cute, but it didn't feel quite... I couldn't quite get behind it. And then the night before I was supposed to tell it, it was for a Grand Slam, I was on the phone with someone, um, and I was telling him about the story. I, like, ran the story for him to practice. So a friend of mine who lives in England... And he listened, and then he goes, oh, that's not what your story's about. You just like control. <laughs> and he was like, stop trying to put, stop trying to put all, the, all the grandma stuff in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine, but that's not what that moment was about. That moment was about you were in control, and then you lost control. And then he goes, how did that make you feel? And I said, terrible. I hate not having control. I always was so proud that I could run everything exactly how I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and so it became a really beautiful moment of giving up control to the kids and to the dice and yeah. to the game. Yeah. And that just shifted 
it was like a Rubik's cube. Like it just shifted everything. And so it wasn't what's going to be the smartest way to tell it. Yeah. It was what did you actually think about and feel? And I think that comes across in good stories when you when you really know that you know someone better at the end of that story. And it's they've thought about it and they've been curious about themselves enough that they've thought about it and figured it out. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, involves seven different ways in Moth. You've listened to a lot of different stories, yeah. short stories, right, constantly. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see... Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, I, I'm sure there's stories that don't, like... I, I think, in general, stories either do touch us or they don't, right? right. It depends where you are at the moment. Right. Just, like, that, that same revelation that you had about your own story, I think... I say this all the time. We can we can see a different story today, and then see it two years from now. And yep. next time, it's like, oh, I needed that. Like that, I'm, yeah. that's me it right comes, now. Sometimes it comes at the exact right yep. moment, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. It's really true. I mean, I yeah. So seven different ways. So I tell stories. I host storytelling shows uh, yeah. for the education program. Um, I direct stories for high school students, and I sort of run the education program itself. So high school yeah. students, college students, teachers. And so, yeah, I hear a lot of stories. Um, so are you asking, like, is there are there stories that oh, don't yeah. connect? Yeah, so so I guess I'm, I'm going all over the place. I, I, I had know, notes, but fine. I was like, I don't need notes. Let's do a yeah. moth style. I don't need notes. <laughs> um, you're, you're listening to so many different stories. Do you – actually, let's start with this. Sure. Do you ever hear people responding either to your own stories or to other people's stories? Like, it made a difference in their lives or they, they learned something about themselves or – you know, I mean, it, I'm sure there's a spectrum, right? Yeah. From, like, that was fun, <laughs> or it made me cry, to, yeah. like, it cleared up something for me. Yeah. Like, what, what is that reaction like for, for you guys, or, I mean, or that you've had? I mean, a lot of times that's a personal interaction between the storyteller and the audience, which is really lovely, actually. Like, afterwards, you'll see people go up and talk to people. Um, one that comes to mind um, is uh, there's a... So, so sometimes I go out with the main stage, uh, which is the sort of directed, curated series that we travel all over the country and do these shows for audiences like 1,500, 2,000 people. And, and it'll be five storytellers. And they come from all over the country, meet and become a sort of little cast. And this one storyteller who is now a friend, um, uh, he tells a story. He's, uh, he's Iraqi and he was a translator for the U.S. Army in, in Iraq and then was kidnapped by Al-Qaeda and escaped and was airlifted to the U.S. and, and with his family and um, is now in the National Guard. Okay. So he joined the military. He yeah. loved he loved the, the group of guys mm-hmm. that he worked with in yes. the army back in Iraq. And so when he came here, he was like, this is the country I love. This is the country that I want to protect. And, you know, he's, he's fantastic and also very funny and just like a great dude. Um, and... I, t- we, we, I did a show with him in Charleston, West Virginia on Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend. Okay. And he closed the show. And afterwards, all these people wanted to come up to him and shake his hand and, you know, talk to them about their kids who are in service or talk to them about someone they knew or ask him more questions. And, and the the connection that they all had with this story that was so different than the background they've got right that they're not they're not in the life that he's in um 
was really, really cool. And then by the same token, um, I know for myself, the story that I tell that the most people connect with um, is a story about a trip I took to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very personal story. It's very, it's, it's funny, but it's kind of painful for me. I have to feel really hot to tell it because it's about <laughs> feeling ugly. So like if I feel yeah. like I look great, I can tell yeah. it. And if not, I'm not going <laughs> to tell that story. Um, but I tell it to high school students a lot. And um, it's about going to Italy and I fall in love with a guy and he's terrible to me. And I think I have to get plastic surgery basically. And um, that story more than any other after I tell that at the beginning of a workshop, girls will come up to me and say, I didn't know grownups felt like that. Or uh, uh, one girl decided to tell a story in Slam Team in, in the workshops that I was teaching and told me afterwards um, that she told it because she heard that story and she was like, oh, I'm allowed to I'm mm. allowed to tell this kind of story. So it's a little bit yeah. of permission too. Yeah. Um, and then the saddest or the most sort of touching thing that happened with that is I told it on International Day of the Girl at uh, the Young Women's Leadership School in Brooklyn. Okay. So it was a big assembly, and it was organized by the students. I mean, the, the students at Twills are ridiculous. They're amazing. <laughs> They're all going to be, like, in Congress. I can't wait. So it was, it was completely student-organized. And so I told this story, and then there was a Q&A, and it was grades 6 through 12. And... It was, you could tell what grade people were in by where they were sitting. So a sixth grader raised her hand. It was questions afterwards. And she said, and I had talked about feeling really ugly and feeling like I would never be beautiful. And she asked the question, so did you feel ugly because maybe you saw people, you didn't see people who looked like you and you sort of felt a little different and you weren't really sure that you would ever grow up to be something that someone found beautiful and that maybe you weren't, like she told them, she asked the most specific question that was so clearly her question. She, basically the point of, did you just feel different and that's why and is everything going to be okay for me is sort of what the subtext was. And I answered as honestly as I could. I said, you know, that's, yes, I I saw a lot of pictures in magazines that looked really different from me. And um, it took me a really long time to feel really good about how I do look. And even now, sometimes I have my doubts. And just because having doubts sometimes, you know, I found my way to, to an answer. But it was, it really struck me how much, and I think this is part of what I like about the work that you do, is putting a story on the table allows us to talk about something mm-hmm. without totally directly talking about ourselves. Even when it's a personal story with the word I in it, I'm still crafting it. Yeah. I'm still choosing, like we were saying, yeah. I'm still choosing the details. So the way that I could see stories being used in like a healing situation, I think this is very similar, right? Yeah. That you oh, yeah. can see yourself in it and it's a little safer to see yourself in it than to raise your hand and say, I'm super worried that I'll never be pretty, yeah. which is not something you're going to say in front of 350 other girls, you know. Um, like therapy, uh, I think, is... Lately, I've been using the word education more and more because mm. it's learning about yourself and learning oh, different things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going all in on that uh, for, for years now. And <laughs> what I love about that story that you're talking about, and I like the, I'm going to spoil it, right? The punchline is that you, you see yourself happy and then you you look beautiful, right? Yeah. Yep. Because you're you're in your zone. That's that's yep. what, that's you, the real you, right? Yeah. Yep. And 
I think that that insight to see that played out um, is so important for people because it's something that they don't understand. One of my, one of my, I'll call it a trick in therapy, right? But it's it's something that it just it's just true. Many times people will talk to me about something. I'm like, you have, do you have any idea how happy you just look talking about mm, that? Mm-hmm. Like, I've known you for weeks and you never lit up that way. Yeah, that means something to me, right? So that was in a one-on-one session in therapy. But as a teacher, I saw that tons of times, yep. right? I mean, I felt like I, it was it was magnified because I felt like my job required that I suck the soul out of maybe 28 kids at one time but two of them were were in it you know and it's like (laughs) there's all these mixed feelings that go on but it was amazing to see to see that moment yeah and I love your story because of that it's a story that I would I mean have you ever heard another story like that 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 has that insight so clearly stated no like I'm gonna use that story oh yeah to show it to people because because that's something that's really important, I think, and that a lot of people would help a lot of people. But it's just it's not out there. No, it's yeah. true. The and and it's it's funny that you say it that way because to sort of reflect back onto storytelling, <laughs> someone came up to me that night and said, "This guy Junior actually uh, came up to me that night and said, you know how you said you looked beautiful and you were doing what you love to do?' He was like, "You looked beautiful on stage." Telling it today. It, yeah. I mean, I was. Yeah. I, I really like that's that's my happy place in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. And, and there's something about finding the thing that activates you and finding the thing that gets you in a flow or in a zone. Um, that story is so self-deprecating. Also, I mean, like, it was it was hard to, to watch the video. I know. I got a lot of very well-meaning emails after that. It got picked up by Upworthy, you know? Mm, yep. So it ended, up getting, it ended up getting something like 350,000 hits, which was insanity. I mean, anything before that for me had gotten maybe 80 mm-hmm. hits and it went from that to 350,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all these emails. <laughs> this one guy wrote, um, listen, you're not even that bad looking. If you would just put some makeup on, you're like a seven. <laughs> These, so the people obviously didn't reach the end, right? Like, they didn't. I, know, I, know. I was like, <laughs> Did you finish watching, watching the video? Keep watching. It's going to be better. It's going to get better. The other problem, I think, what happened was, um, and then I got a lot from like older ladies being like, oh, honey, you're beautiful. Don't even yeah. worry about it. But it was because um, sometimes in storytelling, you do things in the present tense. So like, mm-hmm. I'm yes. this, like I'm sitting there and I'm doing this and I'm feeling this way. And so people didn't really understand that I was saying, I feel like I'm the ugliest one of my friends. Yeah. Back when I, then, when I was 25. So now when I tell that story, sometimes I say, so I don't feel this way now. But when I was 25, I felt like I was the ugliest one of my friends. And yeah. you have to be really clear because otherwise they spend the whole time looking at you, sort of being like, oh, why does she, what is her nose I'm like? I'm going to tell her a thing yeah. or two when we're <laughs> yeah. done here. <laughs> yeah. There was a sophomore in high school once at an assembly who just, a yeah. guy who just yelled out, you're beautiful, <laughs> in the middle of the story. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't mind. That's all right. Um, But it's interesting that you talk about it as a teaching tool because I don't think that a story told to be a teaching tool would be as effective. Absolutely not. As just a story told and then you taking it and bringing it that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's why there's like this fine line that I walk always where I, like I said, I would take your story and use it hoping because there's no guarantee. Right. But it's like, well, maybe this will help. I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to suggest it. Yep. If they do, maybe they'll get something out or maybe they won't. Yep. Because there's, there's just so much content. It's impossible to, yep. you know, but I can suggest it. And it's, 
it's tricky. It's hard, but it's it's something that I, I still believe is worth trying to do, right? And then I guess related to that, I think there are stories that are worth telling, mm. you know, in the hopes that someone will see it or, 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 or catch yeah. it, and yeah. which is different than doing it deliberately to teach, right? This is a this is a tough conversation, right? Because <laughs> well, so I think of this. I think that a good way to organize that for myself is around theme. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things we talk about at the Moth is that stories have themes, and that organizing around the theme or editing for theme is going to be a great way to find. So, if you want to tell a story about, um, it, if you're telling a story about Italy and you want it to be about. Um, trying something new and the danger of risk, you would choose different details than you were telling a story about beauty. Or if you were telling a story about unfairness and it was about the lady who made us work at the festival. Like there's all these different ways that you could pull out different storylines based on what theme you want. And in some ways it works better or the way I'm thinking about this idea of like, what's the, what's the purpose of a story for teaching? If you sit down and go, I'm going to tell a story about innocence What's my story I'm going to tell about innocence? It's going to come out really wooden. It's going to feel a little bit yeah. like an essay yeah. because you started with an idea and then tried to sort of put things on it mm-hmm. versus if you're telling a story and someone listening to it goes, you know, you're really talking about a loss of innocence there. I mean, that's what it sounds to me like. And then you go, oh, right. That is what that story is about yeah. a little bit. And then you pull it out and then it's a yeah. little more organic, I think. So I think that's the difference is that yeah. for you, you're already seeing the theme that came yeah. through and you can go, that's what I need. I need that story. Versus for the, the teller, starting that way would make it, it would feel preachy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I love to have, I like the example of songs where someone takes um, one lyric completely mm-hmm. out of context, mm-hmm. but it's meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with what the song is actually right, about right. because that's what spoke to you. And I love doing that with, with TV shows and movies and books where maybe there's one scene that really like spoke to me and I thought, I think, oh, maybe that's a good teaching tool. And the way, um, again, like as I, I use the word teaching tool, but many times it's just like, oh, you like that thing? You remember that scene where the thing happened? Totally. Oh, I remember that. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something, there's something yeah. really powerful about, about those moments. I have a story that I tell about um, breaking up with a guy over Battlestar Galactica. What? So <laughs> This one I have not heard. So, well, it's part of this show that I did, The, the Secret Life of Your Third Grade Teacher. Okay. Um, so I was dating this guy and he just did not like people. Like he didn't love people. And I was all about people. He thought I was super innocent and naive. And I thought he was sort of cynical. And, um, but I stayed in the relationship and then I started getting more and more frustrated with it. And then finally we were watching Battlestar. I I had already seen Battlestar Mm -hmm. and he had not. And we, you know, we know if you've seen Battlestar that, in season two, you meet um, the other Battlestar that survived where mm-hmm. they they sort of went after the Cylons and they're in war mode and they're like... With the female commander, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, and it's super dark. They've gone really dark and yeah. sort of given up their humanity because they left their civilians. Whereas Adama kept his civilians safe and he decided, well, I mean, Rosalind... Got the whole but, fleet. Yeah, everything. got the yeah. whole fleet, kept them safe yeah. and, and, and ran. So we're watching just the pilot. We just get to the part where they decide to keep the fleet safe. And my boyfriend turns to me and says, well, they're idiots. They should have just stripped all the FTL drives and gone after the Cylons. There's enough human life to propagate, you know, there's enough people to propagate human life on the Battlestar itself. Those other people don't matter. 
Okay. And I was like, yes, they totally matter. <laughs> Shit. Excuse me. Shoot. <laughs> we like I'm yeah. you know, he's he's um what was the what was that Battlestar called? I'm Galactica and he's Oh Pegasus. It was Pegasus. Okay. I was like, oh he's he's Pegasus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it totally clicked for me yeah. through the story that I was able to go, oh, that's how different we are. Just our reaction to that one moment. Which is like a safer way to do it than Yeah, 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 yeah. You under- and then you explain like this just happened. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why yeah. we're done. Yeah. I mean no, that wasn't oh, the man. moment I broke up with him. It was a, it was one of it the helped. last moments. Yeah, it yeah, helped. Yeah. It helped. It helped clarify it. I just I mean, I just walking over here, I, I just had a similar experience. I just saw the movie La La Land. Oh yeah. And um I'm like me and my girlfriend We've been together for many years, but there's we're going to have to move soon. And there's that moment where it's like, are we going to move together or are we not going to move together? Yeah. And so I, I watched the movie yesterday and it infuriated me. Really? Infuriated me. And I wasn't sure why. Yeah. And it didn't hit me until I was walking over here. Yeah, yeah. Why? It's because, like, spoilers, but they didn't... They, they don't end up together at the end. Right. They decide to f- pursue their dreams. And it's something that I debate with all the time. Uh, and I think I'm, I've realized that I, I hate that they did that. I hate that they showed me the alternate timeline <laughs> and how happy they would have been. And I think that despite, while I believe that that's, that's a valid option, I think, I, think I, I understand that I really don't want to do that. Like, I really don't want that outcome. Right. I like that alternate timeline. Right. And I... I've been debating that for months and it wasn't until I saw two completely different people play it out on this fantasy yeah. world in Literally a musical. Literally fantasy world. Yeah. Like the, the dream ballet, that American yeah. in Paris dream ballet is not real life. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I think yeah. everyone does have, it is a little bit of a litmus test how you react to that end. Yeah. Oh because yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm single and I am happy being single yeah. and I'm super into this idea that people come into your life and leave your life at the right time and that I that that a successful relationship isn't only forever mm-hmm. right that there are relationships yep. that are exactly as long as they're supposed to be and then they're done I'm with you up here yeah 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 no of course <laughs> but that's what's so funny that for me viscerally yeah. the end of that movie validates my choice Mm -hmm. it like it tells me oh yeah see i can be grateful to guy x and guy y and guy z and like that's where who they were and they allowed me to be who i needed to be and we get to have our own lives i mean i was very aware that she's still married with a baby i was like she's (laughs) she's happy she's not unhappy yeah she doesn't need to be with ryan what's funny because five years ago it would have validated Right. How I felt. Right. But now I'm in a completely different place. Do you think we seek out stories that validate our own choices? Or do you think we seek, or is this like a personality thing? The people who seek out stories that challenge their choices versus validating them? Where do you? I don't think, I don't, I don't think people go into a story knowing what they're right. going to get. I think right. there's, it's so unexpected. Yeah. Again, you don't know what it's going to be like. I've yeah. had movies where even though I, I barely remember the movie anymore, I remember how much I liked it. Right? Yeah. So I'll go back to it. And then I see things that I, I, maybe I saw them before, I just didn't remember. But they mean something completely different because I think yeah. where we are and whether it's validating. Or, I mean, that way, that would just hit too close to home. Yeah. The, other one, the other one that hit close to home for me recently was Moana. You watched Moana? 
the no, Disney movie? No, I'm gonna go see it with my niece soon. Well, the the I won't I won't spoil anything about that. But okay. the like the the big movie that was nominated for the Oscars is called How Far I'll Go, and really she's just debating from like the first scene. You know, like she wants to leave this island. Yep. But her her people don't want her to. Right. And she asks herself, How far will I go if I leave? Mm. Right. It's the same theme in, yep. in La La Land. Same exact thing, yep. Yep. but without that um, personal partner connection yep. to it, right? So that movie I was all about. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Leave that <laughs> right. island. Go. Go as far as you can. <laughs> right, right. And, and like I was born in Puerto Rico, and that's an island. So when we talk about Puerto Rico, we always say the island. Right. So it was like, it was just like hitting me over and over. I was like, yeah, I did the right thing. I left the island. I did okay. Yeah, yeah. It was like Validate your choices. Absolutely. It validates yeah. your choices. But I didn't know that going into the movie. No, no, no. Of course. Yeah. But I think that's really... <laughs> but, but actually, what we're talking about is we're sort of coming back around to, to Moth because... We're talking about when we see ourselves in a mm-hmm. story, and and yeah. what what we're really talking about is the idea that it doesn't matter if it's true or not true. There's mm-hmm. tr- or, or real or not real. There's truth yeah. inside of all of those those pieces. I think I'm just not very good at fiction. <laughs> when you were talking about writing, um, every time I've written a fictional story, I can't come up with names for the characters. <laughs> right. It's so frustrating. Right. <laughs> I can't move. It's like I'll flesh out so much and I'll go into so much detail. And I'm still like the guy, his father. Yeah. <laughs> the wife. <laughs> I have to I have to base all characters on real people, even yeah. if it's the most absurd yeah. thing. So um, I the, the last piece of fiction that I was working on was called The Historian. And it's a time travel love story. And um, it sort of frames historians as... Um, fighter pilots it's a whole thing but but all the people in it are based on my life i mean the the girl in the story is my grandmother at age 25 yeah which i never met her but that's the only way i was able to get to a character was to imagine yeah. a person i knew and like put them in a new place yeah um and so the the situation can be totally out there but yeah. i still have to hold on to things i still have to feel like i'm discovering things rather than making them up yeah. yeah, which um, feels better to me. Yeah, to discover them. Yeah, I think the power of the story doesn't doesn't really matter if it's fictional. No, or, I think or, you're or right. Non-fictional. I think you're right, and they have different things to offer you. Yeah, yeah. There is something about. I mean, well, for example, the betrayal people feel when they find out something that was supposed to be nonfiction is actually fiction. Mm. There's like a contract yeah. that we have, right? Yeah. So there is something about expectation, I guess. Um, but you're right that the effect it both can really affect us emotionally. I think we just need to know what what ride we're along for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember seeing a, a storyteller tell a story, and I think he thought it was a very clever device. He told a story; it was really affecting. It was really beautiful, and then he was like, "That never happened," and the whole audience was sort of like, "Listen." I mean, he made it sound like it all happened. And was it, it a was, monster? It was well. It was a a, a one person show oh, okay, that okay, that okay. Um, it was like a string of stories put together, gotcha. and the rest of it was going to be true. But the first story was a lie, as a way to like illustrate how not perfect his life was, or something like that. And I appreciated it, and I love this storyteller is amazing. But but that part, I was just like, oh, I'm not with you. Like okay. I can't. I can't swing that. Yeah. Because yeah, you, yeah. you broke a promise to me a little bit, you know. 
I'm, I'm again because of the work I've done in recent years. I am curious about the work you're doing in like the, the moth after school program, working mm-hmm. with with kids who are younger, and what it there's a there's a lot of great stuff that happens when we watch stories, but there's a lot of great stuff that happens when you tell your story too. So, could you talk about like what what that what, what that's like, or maybe what is even the mission of the moth program? Like, why are you teaching kids to do this? Yeah. So when we first started the program, um, the original idea was sort of like Thunderdome for high school students. Um, for real, it was just going to be let's let's come in for one or two sessions, so just so that they know the basics, and then just put them on stage and have a competitive slam, like speech and debate or forensics or yeah. you know one of these things that's just like cutthroat, and then we yeah. get to um, and um, so. I was lucky enough to be asked to do the pilot with um, my colleague, Catherine, who's, uh, she's my, I don't know if she's my work wife or my work sister, but I've definitely <laughs> spent more time with her than I have with any other human being at this point, because we've been doing this yeah. for five years. Yeah. Um, so, so we got in there and we did the first few workshops, but this amazing thing happened where all these kids got together and because they were telling stories to each other, they got really close. They learned things about each other and they, and and then also rather than having us as experts come in and sort of direct all the stories, we were having the kids give each other Hmm. ideas for their stories because our theory was, you know, what's nice about stories is everyone tells them Hmm. and everyone listens. And if your purpose in a story is to be understood, anyone can tell you what they understood from that story. You don't have to be doing storytelling as a job to say, I thought your boyfriend sounded super mean. And you go, oh, no, he was really great. And you go, oh, I, I guess I have to say something about that so that you know he was really great. As simple as that. That's, that's some really high-level peer critique, but in the frame of being social, yeah. right? So you're, so you're hearing something. You're feeding it back to the artist. The artist is, is taking critique, understanding it, making adjustments, and telling a version of the story again. So they were telling social drafts. We never wrote down our stories because when you would go away and journal and then read what you wrote, sometimes that was really surprisingly personal and you didn't feel comfortable. But when you're telling a story in a group, you might suddenly go, oh, I realize they've never actually been to Jamaica. I got to make that clear. Or you, you might say, oh, you know what? I don't think I need to talk about my boyfriend because I'm about to go on a date with that guy and maybe this isn't going to work out then. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah. you're making all these calls as, as, as you're telling stories. And so as a student, you're suddenly understanding your voice to be something you control, yeah. your details to be something you control, you're taking feedback from each other, you're learning things, and, and like we've been talking about, things that you relate to in each other who are really different. The second one we did was at a school in Manhattan called School of the Future, and I will never mm-hmm. forget the first slam we did at School of the Future because it was like the breakfast club. <laughs> it was like... It was like... Um, a girl who got out of science club to do it and who is a sophomore and a boy who was varsity basketball and uh, like a misfit who is now actually a, tele- a bona fide television star, a misfit with like, with like, um, you know, uh, dyed hair who was sort of, sort of really into, um, the images that she was creating. So she was coming at it as a sort of a poet and the science um, club, the person from science club was really coming at it as a chance to socialize, like a chance to try making friends. And the guy from basketball just needed a break from his, his sports life. And they all became this. I mean, it was, 
it was uh, um, one of my favorite experiences in life. <laughs> and so the mission started being, let's get excellence in stories. And it became really quickly, let's help kids listen to one another yeah. and figure out that they are worth listening to. That, that even getting up behind a microphone... I mean, you're behind a microphone all the mm -hmm. time, and, and even as a teacher, you're in front of people all the time, but the act of getting up behind a microphone is a, a fairly uh, revolutionary thing. Literally, just by standing there, you're saying, I'm the person in the room everyone's going to listen to now. Yeah. And I have decided that what I have is worth listening to, and I'm here to say that thing. And no matter what it is, whether it's a an introduction to someone else or a moth story like that's that's an act and um so so we talk about um these these ways that we want to develop skills and and abilities in kids and 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 uh, qualities in kids we talk about empathy we talk about confidence we talk about reflection we talk about community um and we talk about artistry so the idea that it's a work of art you're making the idea that you're connecting to other people and by listening to them, you're helping their story. Like the act of listening is helping their story get better. So all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that the, 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 my, some of my favorite moments in those workshops are the moments where either people who already knew each other really well find out even different things about each other when someone who's, who you would always make a lot of assumptions about reveal something about themselves that other people yeah. wouldn't have expected. I remember one really, um, really verbal, really, um, she was, she was really confident always. And she was always ready with a story. She was always, and, uh, and that wasn't true of the rest of the, not all of the people on the team. And, but she was really helpful and really like always wanted to sort of draw out other people on the team and really, um, worked so hard on her, on her stories, writing down and, and all this stuff. And then one of the last days she told a story about how she didn't know how to read until she was in sixth grade. Hmm. And it shocked the hell out of everybody. I mean, yeah. that whole room did not know that about her. And I'd actually known her for years and I hadn't known that. So, so it's not the hugest revelation, right? But it's a revelation that really shifted the dynamics in the room and allowed her to be someone else than she was making herself be and all those kinds of things. So those kinds of, those kinds of moments when dynamics shift are really exciting to me. And when kids are able to go, Oh, here's another piece of my identity that I can make a part of my public identity. And, and now I get to keep this other part that to myself that no one needs to know, like making those choices and, and doing that stuff. Yeah. Adults are the worst, I think, right? <laughs> because um, they have kids and then they don't listen to them. And yeah, Teachers, the meanest people I've ever seen in my life are teachers. Wow. Like the worst. Like I've never seen people treat other people, meaning students, like garbage. Wow. Right? And that's like across different states, across different. Me as a student, I remember like I hated school and it's because of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And you continue to see it. And then again, in a role like as a therapist, as a teacher, you see kids who they seem to be shocked when you, one, are willing to listen to them. Look them yep. in the eye and tell them, like, tell me more. Like, yep. what do you mean, tell me more? Yeah. You know, like, you're the first person to ever tell them that. Um, so I didn't, even, I didn't even think about the fact that you were creating or that you are creating this environment where go for it, you know? Like, tell your story. Tell your story a few different times. Tell your story any way you want to say it. And, and that's, 
That's so great. Yeah. And when it, and we talk and we also talk explicitly about choosing what to disclose and the fact that you're in you're in control of that, but that we as adults in the room are going to help you make those choices. So when you're 16 and you know you're going to have a microphone, that's also a time where you test boundaries. That's yeah. also a time where you want to maybe act on your life by mm-hmm. having the right. And so yeah, yeah, helping yeah. kids regulate very common one that comes up is, well, I want to tell a story about beef I have with this other girl in, in <laughs> class, and I need to tell everyone what really happened with her because people do not know what she is really like, and I'm going to tell them what she is really like. And what we say at that point, it's very yeah. common, um, what we say at that point is usually, so to tell a story on a moth stage, you have to not only ask permission of the person you're telling about, but tell them the exact story you're going to tell them, you're mm-hmm. going to tell. And the response at that point is usually, oh, well, we're not speaking and she would kill me if she knew I was telling this. And you're like, well, that's, that's sort of the clue that you can't do that. No. And then the other and then the other one. And so understanding that it's a responsibility as well as a privilege, like to yeah. that, that the microphone is power. Yeah. And then the other one that comes up is um, I've never told this to anyone before. Mm-hmm. And I think in this in the context of what we're talking about, maybe they haven't had a therapeutic setting or they haven't come to their guidance counselor or had any kind of supportive setting. So this feels like the supportive setting where they want to say a thing for the first time. And we're a performing arts workshop. We're not a a group therapy. And so helping them understand and, and making sure that we always know what the resources are that are available, that are available to them. And, um, that we understand what the signs of trauma are. Mm -hmm. So if a kid is telling a story and they can't sit still, they can't keep their eyes in the same place. They aren't able to stay linear as they're narrating. If they're losing the thread or feeling telling it in third person, Mm -hmm. um, those are the pieces where we know this is not necessarily a story that you seem ready to bring onto a larger stage. No. We are honored that you want to share it with us in this circle, but um, we gotta we gotta think carefully together and with the help of some support if you want to tell that on a on a larger stage. And so we're we're really big about that as well because I think that the it can be drives me a little crazy sometimes it can be very easy for people to be like oh this is going to be super healing and cathartic for them to mm-hmm. finally mm-hmm. tell the yeah. truth and the secret yeah. in front of their whole school who all came because there were posters all over no what okay maybe for some people but you yeah. we don't know that and we're not the this is what keeps me up at night yeah seriously yes. this is what keeps me up at night oh i'm so glad you brought that up yeah don't don't oh yeah <laughs> no, i mean i mean but like you just went through all of these things that are I just required for that that age, you know. Yeah. Like they're, they're, we have a responsibility. Absolutely. There. And stories. I think. I think maybe to just, just like just hits home how important the experience is, both as the listener, as the person who's telling the story. Like they're powerful. Like I don't know. I I, I always go back to that word. I, I don't know of any other word um they are they really for are good for bad yep. for everything yep. that's why powerful yeah. is such a good word for it because <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. ju- it's quality neutral right yeah 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 and and i think sometimes it can be tempting and this is something that we maybe as the authority figures in a room have to really check in ourselves it, it can be really tempting to want to get that tragic story because it's going to feel really meaningful. It's going to feel really beautiful. People say things are beautiful when they're Mm -hmm. really tragic and that kind of bugs me. (laughs) Um, But it, it can risk so much more than what it can get out of what you can get out of it. Um, And 
one of the things I like to, to say and I like to think about is that you're learning tools that are totally transferable. Mm -hmm. So if you learn how to shape a story in this way when you're 16, there are stories that are happening right now for you that you're going to be ready to tell and have the skills and tools to do it when you're 20 or when you're 25 and that that those tools don't go away. Like having had the experience of getting up, even if it's just about the time I had a lemonade stand when I was in third grade, you now know what the story arc looks like. You know how to go, okay, but what did that really mean to me? You know how to do all those pieces so that if you're going to think about and talk about a bigger story, you don't have to feel pressure to do it right then. It's another reason why we always ask kids if they want to come back. We don't say once you've done it, you have to go away. Hmm. Um, people do it over and over and over again, and you watch their stories become different as they change. Yeah. I mean, year by year, kids are trying new things, and a story is... Sometimes, yeah, sometimes stories aren't finished yet and things like yeah. that. So Yeah. No, I'm, gl I'm glad this is like a good place to, to start wrapping up because just like at the beginning we, I talked about, I don't like you to use the word prescriptive, right? But, but I absolutely have many times used that word. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to like, you should check out this story. Yeah. Right? Maybe I help. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, there's a complete opposite where it's like, don't, don't read that book. Don't watch that movie because oh, right now... No, do, like do not. Like sometimes it's just a friend, you know, where yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. no, that is like your life story playing out. Don't do that right now. <laughs> right, you're not ready. Right. You're not ready to see that. Um, right. You'll stay home for a week or something like that. And, right, and right. I think, yeah, again, it's just so, so powerful. I haven't decided how I feel about trigger warnings, though. Hmm, that's, that's interesting. That's I, interesting. I really haven't because Moth doesn't have trigger warnings on it. Mm -hmm. And we don't do them in our shows for high school students. Um yeah, and I, I, I'm genuinely of two minds about it. Because there yeah. is something that, like, you want people to know what they're in for if it will cause them harm. Yeah. But you also, also, to, you don't know what's going to affect someone or hit someone how. And yeah. so I don't know where to, I don't know where I land on that. I don't know if you have thoughts about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, this is, this is good. Um, we... Like on this podcast, it's always explicit because I don't care. I want it to be natural. Like yep. when you said shit earlier and then you corrected shoot, I'm leaving them both in. I know, but that's because I'm a okay. third grade teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At heart, always. <laughs> but there's something about like the censorship of, of a person and like, but let's just like assume like on this show that that's a thing. But we, we've started this collection of, of essentially stories and, and um, this is actually, I, I haven't, I don't have an area for, I do have an area for videos where we catalog videos. So I might put your video sure. um, and tag it under, um, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Um, not beauty, but uh, like self. Self-esteem? Yeah, yeah. Maybe something like self-esteem, sure. right? So put it under there. And, and so w what I did was a compromise because the word trigger warning is very polarizing. I agree. So we, so now I only say content warning. Nice. And that seems to be a lot better. And then um, on this database, it's like a wiki. It's, it's like a Wikipedia. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And then what I did was I installed a button. So it says content warning. So if you want to see the content warnings, you hit the button and they drop down. Oh. If you don't want to see them, then you don't have to see them. Wait, that's really smart. I, I, it's the only way I could compromise. Right, because some people don't want to know. Yeah. That's a great compromise. And it's content warning, not trigger warning. Yeah. Because just trigger is like, ah, oh, why you got to be like well, that? I, like, I remember, so so one thing that for us, we do, um, we don't have warnings on language or mm -hmm. content or anything like that um, on the Moth website. And we get a lot of requests from teachers and parents who want to listen to Moth stories with their kids, but don't want to have to... Um, screen them beforehand yeah 
And so we finally instituted a PG tag. Really? So so there's a there's one list of stories that's all the stories that have and we I mean we hand tagged mm. them so like our staff listened to all 700 that are on the website wow. where and if something didn't have um, explicit sex explicit drug use or swear words which by the way was also very interesting because things that I did not consider swears it turns out elsewhere in the country are considered swears like, like damn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had not <laughs> known that damn would not be PG mm-hmm. and so we had to change the tag a couple times Oh, yeah. But it's really nice because then they, I mean, that's different than trigger yeah. warnings no, no, that we're no, talking no, about. But it's, true. But, yeah. it's, but it's a nice way for them to like hit it. And, and by the way, I had a, an irate teacher. Irate. <laughs> she, was, she was polite. But she wrote to me and said, I wish I could show Lego crimes to my class, but you say shit at the beginning. Which is true. But it's a really funny yeah, part. It is. And I'm not going to change it. And it, it's funny you say because I screened a lot of moth stories to show my students over mm-hmm. the years. And sometimes I had to ask permission. And I got the stupidest responses back. I'm like, you've heard how they talk in classroom. Yeah. And you want me to. And, but it's not okay for like this one, this one Lego story. I know. That has to show, like, I no. know. Okay. Fine. I should have a bleeped version or something. I've actually done that. I've have taken you? videos and then I've gone and I've actually like downloaded the video, censored it, and then uploaded it again, which is not legal. But like I'll keep it private just for a class, and sure, then you sure. know keep it. You Teacher know you can't prove it. You can't prove it. Yeah. Well, you are <laughs> saying it on a podcast. Can't prove it. No, I can <laughs> you say just, you just confess to it on a on a really public. I destroyed the proof. <laughs> But that is a silly thing that happens, and I guess yeah, um, it just adds to the power of words. I guess at that yeah. point, yeah, 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 what they are. Oh, totally. Man. Thank you so much for, oh my gosh. for coming on my here. My pleasure. This has been awesome. I had no idea where this would go, and we ended up on content warnings, and I like it. I think I think we ended up in a good place. <laughs> I can't remember where we started. I feel like we've been on a long journey. <laughs> and and like to, to reiterate, I you're you're a moth storyteller. And, yeah. and or a storyteller <laughs> who has seven different connections with with the moth and and storytelling is such a big part of my life and then to me the way this all got started for me was that I f- you, you used the word understood before I always felt misunderstood mm. but I felt that I understood the world through the lens of the stories that I was watching and, wow and, and, yeah 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 and so I felt that if I could point someone to a story that story could tell my story better than I could. Yep. And, and so that has led to a whole bunch of uh, different stuff. And, and it turns out a lot of people feel the same way. And um, we true. need more storytellers. So thank you for telling stories. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> it is literally my pleasure. And for training storytellers. That is also my pleasure. Also a very cool job. Um, I'm kind of jealous. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I made it up. That's a whole, that's actually, if you watch the SVA uh, thing that, yes. that um, where, how you found me originally, yeah. if you watch that lecture, which is available online on yeah. the, on that website, the it, social yeah. innovation website, um, it's, it's, it's literally about how I invented my job. Okay. Because I just sort of made it up. That's those are the best jobs. Yeah. That's what you yeah. got to do. They I'm are. in the That's process. This job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is pretty amazing too. <laughs> I really like your job. It. You just nerd out about stories and healing all day long. We try. We try. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll link to that. But where can people find you if they want to see your stories or? Um, so uh, MichaelaBly.com is my website. It's M I C A E L A 
B-L-E-I.com. Um, you can see my stories there uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and also secretlifethirdgrade.com because that's the solo show that I did based on my moth stories about teaching in life. And you can see a lot of um, sample stories there as well. Cool. Um, and cool. some like nice press and things like that. Cool. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. This oh, is great. This is, this is a lot of fun. You've just listened to Geek Therapy on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com. 